Tachyarrhythmias by Dr. Vasilios Bezaridis. Hello, my name is Dr. Vasilios Bezaridis. I'm one of the pediatric cardiac electrophysiology attendings here at Boston Children's Hospital. I would like to discuss today an approach to managing pediatric patients with tachyarrhythmias. This is a framework that can be applied to patients in a number of settings, including the emergency department, ward, or ICU. The strategy presented here is a practical application of the pediatric advanced life support protocol that is the foundation of pediatric resuscitation. We'll start with a clinical scenario, describe the important diagnostic and management points, and then review some basic mechanisms of arrhythmias often seen in pediatric patients. Let's start with the case presentation. A three-year-old male was recently admitted by the overnight intern for gastroenteritis several hours ago. He has received a bolus of fluid in the ED and is now getting continuous fluids through an IV in his right hand. The nurse calls you because when the vitals were taken, he's become tachycardic. The first step is to determine if the patient has decreased cardiac output. While a non-invasive blood pressure is part of a comprehensive hemodynamic assessment, there are multiple other signs and symptoms of an adequate circulation which should also be addressed. Mental status, respiratory effort and signs of distress, presence of central or peripheral cyanosis, capillary refill time and strength of peripheral pulses. If there is any sign that the patient has decreased cardiac output, immediately initiate basic life support measures starting with high quality CPR. Next, take a bedside assessment. The patient is awake but appears anxious and minimally active. He's tachypneic but with only mild respiratory distress. His extremities are cool to the touch, but the central pulses are okay. His heart rate is 242 beats per minute. His temperature is 38.1 degrees Celsius, and his blood pressure is 60 over 23 with an oxygen saturation of 93%. Does this patient have adequate cardiac output? Probably for now. Now is the time to get more history. His heart rate in the emergency department was between 140 and 160, which improved with fluid. The nurse is not exactly sure when the heart rate increased because the patient was only on spot check vital signs. His last PO was about four hours ago. The next step is to perform a focused physical examination and perform diagnostic tests if indicated. The child is anxious appearing and is much less responsive than he was before. His lungs are clear with mild subcostal retractions. His cardiovascular exam reveals tachycardia and it's difficult to hear additional heart sounds. His abdomen is soft, and his extremities are cool with moderately decreased central pulses. The EKG is a very effective test to determine if the elevated heart rate is due to tachyarrhythmia or sinus tachycardia from possible ongoing dehydration or fever. The patient should be placed on the cardiac monitor before a 12-lead ECG is obtained, if possible. The examination of the ECG should be focused initially on determining the rate and if the rhythm is wide or narrow. The first step is critical because the decision and timing of treatment is highly dependent on the type of tachycardia present. A rapid but systematic approach is necessary for diagnosing tachyarrhythmias on an ECG. What is the rate? Is it too fast for age? The presence of P waves or the morphology of the P wave? The relationship of the P waves to the QRS complexes. Is it one-to-one -one, or are there too many P waves for each QRS? And again, is it a wide or narrow complex QRS? 
The initial ECG appears to be a narrow complex tachycardia at a rate of 242 beats per minute. There are no P waves to be seen. In this context, you are suspecting a supraventricular tachycardia, such as a reentrant SVT. If you have not already done so, you should notify your fellow or additional support, such as an ICU consult. If available, getting additional history can be very helpful. Has this happened before? Does the patient have an underlying cardiac condition? This point can be extremely important because certain considerations must be taken into account with certain pre-existing cardiac conditions. If the patient is hemodynamically stable in a regular, narrow complex rhythm, there are multiple options for treatment. Vagal maneuvers. This maneuver stimulates the vagus nerve to transiently slow down or block the AV node, or the administration of adenosine. IV adenosine given as a rapid push is a both diagnostic and therapeutic maneuver in stable tachycardias. While caution should be taken in patients with a history of bronchospasm or severe asthma, it is only a rel relative contraindication and is usually well tolerated. The typical starting dose is 0.1 milligrams per kilogram up to 6 milligrams given through a well-functioning IV and followed by a large saline flush. Make sure you have adequate physician and nursing expertise present prior to giving adenosine. The nurse draws up 0.1 milligrams per kilogram of IV adenosine and connects it to a three-way stopcock along with a large saline flush. While the ECG is running, she administers the medication. There's no termination of the rhythm, and the rhythm has now become wider with a right bundle branch pattern. Adenosine is rapidly absorbed by red blood cells and therefore has a half-life of less than 10 seconds in vivo. Most common failures with adenosine administration are with poorly functioning IVs or inadequate administration of the flush. If the first dose of adenosine fails, repeating with another dose of 0.1 milligrams per kilogram is usually recommended. After the IV adenosine, there was a change in the rhythm from narrow to wide. This is not uncommon and most likely represents aberrant conduction. However, if the patient becomes unstable or the rhythm irregular, rapid treatment for possible ventricular arrhythmias should be performed. If the first two doses of adenosine fail to convert the rhythm, check the IV or method of administration. As a note, either arm is an acceptable location for an IV to be placed for adenosine administration. It is often taught that adenosine has to be given through a peripheral IV in the right arm, since it is closer to the heart and will therefore be a faster delivery. More commonly, however, failures with adenosine are due to inadequate saline flushes through small or poor functioning IVs. Foot and scalp IVs are very prone to failure due to the distance from the IV to the AV nodal artery. If IV access is not available, or multiple escalating doses of adenosine fail to convert the rhythm and vagal maneuvers have not been successful, then synchronized cardioversion may be considered. In this scenario, the patient had two rounds of adenosine and may need synchronized cardioversion if the third round fails. Now, have the nurse give 0.2 milligrams per kilogram of IV adenosine, preferably with a continuous ECG. A clean termination should be easily appreciated. The presence of flutter waves or slowing without termination suggests another mechanism than classic reentrant superventricular tachycardia. Examination of the ECG demonstrates ventricular preexcitation. Wolf Parkinson White syndrome 
is where there's an accessory pathway that pre-excites the ventricle. These accessory pathways or bypass tracks can often conduct in both anterograde and retrograde directions, allowing them to support reentrant tachycardias involving the AV node. Normal conduction starts in the sinoatrial node, which is an epicardial structure at the SVC-RA junction. Each sinoatrial node activation produces a wavefront of conduction through the atria that culminates at the AV node. Conduction proceeds through the AV node to the Hisperkinji system to excite the ventricles. Bypass tracks allow conduction to pass retrograde up the accessory pathway and then to re-excite the AV node producing orthodromic tachycardias. Accessory pathways can exist anywhere along either the tricuspid or mitral valve annuli. In addition to accessory pathways, reentrant SVT can also be mediated by extra pathways within the AV node. Supraventricular tachycardia is actually a collection of different arrhythmias that can be further separated into multiple categories. Reentrant tachycardias involving the AV node usually are called SVT or reentrant SVT. Macro reentrant tachycardia such as atrial flutter, micro reentrant tachycardia such as atrial fibrillation, or automatic tachycardias such as ectopic atrial tachycardia. If termination was successful with adenosine or vagal maneuvers, then a reassessment of vital signs is indicated. Consultation with cardiology for further diagnostic tests, such as an echocardium, is also warranted. Possible long-term therapy with antiarrhythmics may be necessary. When dealing with potential tachyarrhythmias, always assess for hemodynamic stability first. Determine if the rhythm is narrow or wide complex, or irregular or regular. If it's narrow complex, consider ECG and vagal maneuvers or adenosine administration for diagnosis or treatment. If it's a wide complex, then treat it as ventricular tachycardia. If the rhythm is wide and irregular, then obtain expert consultation as this arrhythmia might be pre-excited atrial fibrillation, which requires additional management strategies.